The talk you are about to hear is by Roshi Amala Wrightson, teacher at the Auckland Zen Center. Today is day one of our summer 2024 seven-day session. It's the 6th of January 2024. And for this um, session, we're going to be reading verses from an early Zen or Chan text. In fact, considered to be the, the first Chan document. It's called Xin um, Xin Ming in Chinese. Uh, or affirming faith and mind is how we refer to it. Um, sometimes also um, called verses on the faith mind. Uh, this this chant, which we do do regularly, um, is attributed to uh, Master Sung Chan San, who is our third ancestor. So we have. Body, if we count Bodhidharma's first Chinese ancestor, having come from India, Huayka is the second, then the Sangsan is the third. Uh, but we have almost no information about him, uh, besides the fact that he died in 606 of the Common Era, um, and a little bit more, but most of it is, is um, somewhat contradictory. Some scholars even doubt that uh, Sung San was the author of this, the, the text, but has some things in it which point it to a later date for its being compiled or written. But it really doesn't matter for us because this, this text is um, guidance. It it's, gives guidance on practice and uh, that's why we read it and chant it. It's, it's quite repetitive, and I think that's in the nature of teaching, to, to um, repeat things, to hammer them in, hammer them home. And one of the things that people experience with this particular chant is that often verses from it will pop into the mind. If we've chanted it through many sesheen and outside of sesheen, and they pop into the mind and we, with a sense of recognition. We see something in our own minds or in our environment that, that um, is encapsulated by these verses, which are very pithy. Uh, we'll also be uh, dipping into uh, a commentary on this text by Master Sheng Yin. Um, most of you probably know, familiar with Ma Master Emek Sheng Yin, who's a great um, 20th century Chan master. And um, there's a little bit of information about him, we don't, won't go into a lot of it, but um, from, the, from the back of the, the text, it says, Master Sheng Yin is a renowned teacher of Chan, Zen Buddhism. At the age of 13, he left his home near Shanghai to become a monk. During the period of communist unrest, he went to southern, I guess they mean the, probably the um, uh, 10 years of turbulence. I can't remember the other name for it, but anyway, the, the period where everything was... Um, in, in, around the um, 
It could, he could just be referring to the, the communists taking over, actually, here. could have been earlier. So during this period, he went to southern Taiwan and spent six years in solitary retreat. Later, he continued his formal study, earning a doctorate in Buddhist literature from Rishou University in Tokyo. He also, during this time, uh, did a number of seshin with a master who is related to, uh, was a student of um, Harada Sogaku Roshi. So was a, he, he, he trained in, in a tradition um, to which we belong as well. So it got the, this doctorate, and he was he has received transmission in the two major branches of Chan, the Linji and the um, Zhao Dao Zhao Dong, uh, Rinzai and Soto. And when this book was published, he was dividing his time between New York, um, where he has a, a Chan meditation center um, outside of New York City and Taipei, where he's the abbot of two monasteries. And when we did our, our pilgrimage in 2001, we um, were taken to uh, one of these two um, monasteries where they were building a massive um, dharma hall and, and where there is also a, a university. And we were... we, we were able to meet him and um, talk to him briefly. So we start off um, with the title, just a little bit about this title. This is from Master Sheng Yin. The, the phrase faith in mind contains two meanings of believing in and realizing the mind. Mind is especially emphasized in Chan. Faith in mind is the belief that we have a fundamental, unmoving, unchanging mind. I'll sort of repeat that. Faith in mind is the belief that we have a fundamental, unmoving, unchanging mind. This mind is precisely Buddha mind. It is also Tathagatagarbha, womb of Tathagata in every sentient being. This is an important, important teaching from in the Mahayana, is this teaching of Tathagatagarbha. Tathagata is a way of referring to the Buddha. It means, um, basically means the thus come one, the one who has come thus. And Garbha means womb. So to say that we are each Tathagatagarbha um, and that every sentient being is this womb of the Buddha mind, it's, it's, it's pointing to our potential, that every single one of us has the, the potential to uh, flower into Buddhahood, every sentient being. But, but, and the big but is why we need such um, uh, processes as Sishin. But the mind experienced by ordinary beings in the midst of vexations is deluded mind, not true mind. So this is the, the, the kind of the paradox. We have this, this potential to become Buddhas, and yet we don't live out of it. We... we live caught up in our vexations and our delusions. Those who seek to rid themselves of vexations imagine that there is a true mind to attain. We imagine, don't we all come imagining that there is something we need to acquire? And this is, is maybe a big part of our motivation. However, 
From the perspective of Buddha, there is only one mind, neither true nor false. There is no need to discriminate, for everything everywhere is mind everlasting. There is no need to discriminate, for everything everywhere is mind everlasting. And that this takes us to the beginning of the, of the text. The great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. When preferences are cast aside, the way stands clear and undisguised. Let's just read a bit more, more of it because it, um, we'll try to see if we can get through this, a few of these verses uh, today. So let me repeat that in terms of this is pointing to our discriminating mind, the mind that divides everything up. The great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. When preferences are cast aside, the way stands clear and undisguised. But even slight distinctions made set earth and heaven far apart. If you would clearly see the truth, discard opinions pro and con. To founder in dislike and like is nothing but the mind's disease. And not to see the way's deep truth disturbs the mind's essential peace. The way is perfect like vast space, where there's no lack and no excess. Our choice to choose and to reject prevents our seeing this simple truth. Both striving for the outer world as well as for the inner void condemn us to entangled lives. Just calmly see that all is one, and by themselves false views will go. The great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. What is this great way? Master Shenyuan says that this um, great way in this first line refers to a stage of Buddhahood, so it's extremely exalted. He, said, he says, the wisdom of the Buddha is not difficult to perceive. It can be attained in the instant between two thoughts. The reason for this is that it has never been separate from us. It is always present, like a womb. In fact, we, are, we all desire to realize the supreme way. If so, why are we unable to attain it? The second line explains what prevents us, our picking and choosing, our desire and our aversion. It is because we were always trying to escape our vexations, our suffering. Precisely because we want to acquire the Buddha's insight and merits, we are unable to perceive Buddha nature. Another reason why we cannot see our Buddha nature is that we are burdened with ideas. We make distinctions between samsara and nirvana, sentient beings and Buddha, vexations and enlightenment. These ideas obstruct our perception of Buddha nature. Really, in these in these lines of of the um, Shinshin Ming, we get a, a a restatement of the noble truths. We have we have the Great Way, which is the third, the third noble truth, or the of cessation. Cessa in other words, 
um, not not being bound by greed, hatred, and delusion. That's the great way. And most of us face difficulties, what what Xing Yin calls vexations. So it's not it's not easy for us, but there is a way to find ease. And the way to find ease is to avoid picking and choosing, avoiding um, desire and aversion. That's, that's pointing to the second noble truth of the cause of suffering. It's, it's refreshing the way he put the way Master Sung San puts it. It, it's vivid. Um, we we can't avoid experiencing things as with a with a feeling tone. This is taught in the teachings of the five skandhas, where one of the the five is uh, vedana, which means feelings. And the teaching is that everything we experience comes with a feeling tone. Either the, it's pleasant, what we experience is pleasant, or it's unpleasant, or it's neutral. And there's no getting around this. This is for all sentient beings, this is so. There are pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral things that we experience. And you know, there's good reason for that in terms of evolution. Danger, if we were to survive, we have to flee from danger. Um, we have to um, eat and and mate and all these all the things that come with um, being bodies. But there's something that happens really fast, a progression that happens. We don't just experience things as pleasant and unpleasant and neutral, but for the pleasant things, we, th we move quite quickly, often so quickly that we can't even see it from just in a pleasant experience to, oh, I like that. And then I like progresses to I want. And in certain cases, goes further than even than that to I have to have that in order to be happy, or I have to eat that, or I have to mate with that. The same thing happens with unpleasant things. We, we very quickly move to I don't like. It's fine, but then I don't want. And finally, I have to get rid of such and such, in order to be happy. And then with the neutral uh, feeling tones, there can, there can just be a sense of indifference, ignore, and I don't care, which results in that. During the uh, solo retreat I did uh, during my sabbatical. I was um, sitting many hours every day. Basically, I did a f more or less a, a four-week session schedule. And at a certain point, these these opening verses of the affirming faith in mind um, came up powerfully for me and. Um, I realized that, that I was doing this all the time. I was approving of things, disapproving of them, disapproving them, and, and um, ignoring or discounting things. A big one for many of us, I think, is food. We, we savor pleasant flavors and textures in, in eating and um, 
experience um, disapproval or dislike of unpleasant tastes and so forth. And and it's not and and again it happens so quickly that we don't even see this progression. We just think we arrive at um, having to have something. We don't see this these stages that we go through, and it can be food. It can be our environment. I noticed that I was approving and disapproving of my cushions, my level of pain, my state of mind. And then, of course, there was much that was being ignored because it was neutral. And it wasn't necessarily aware of what, what the other people there at the, at the place I was at, Dharmagaya, were experiencing. It might have led to a particular meal that I didn't approve of. Or a repeated item of a menu that I was getting sick of. What's in the background to all of this? This um, chain reaction, you could say, is the self. I, me, mine. All these thoughts and feelings kind of circle around the sense of self. What do I need to acquire? What do I need to get rid of? What do I need to discount? But in this, in this um, not so subtle sometimes and sometimes subtle process um, of approving and disapproving it and then more than going beyond that to attaching and rejecting, we're not free and the suffering in it, difficulty. So Master Seng San reminds us, the great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. When preferences are cast aside, the way stands clear and undisguised. As soon as we drop our preferences, then the way comes forth for us. Master Shingyun points out that it's just a matter of us stopping discriminating between so-called good and evil. That then when we when we when we stop with the with this ideation, then we can see our our face before our parents gave birth to us, our original face. He continues on. When sitting, some of you are distracted with pain or are trying to fight off drowsiness. At night, maybe you are angry at someone who is keeping you awake with his snoring. Well, in this session, everybody is being possible to have their own room, so this shouldn't come up for people, but I'm sure there are going to be other things. But instead of letting it annoy you, just observe the snoring. Soon the snores may become hypnotic and repetitive, actually pleasant sounding. If you start counting the snores before you know it, you will be asleep. Um, often with uh, something like somebody snoring, what is keeping us awake is not so much the, the sound that we can hear, but the anxiety we add to the sound of worrying that we're not going to get to sleep and get enough sleep. And if we can just accept our environment, accept that it'll take maybe a while for me for, for my, me to get off to sleep, then the, the, we, we do. We just will 
rest and relax until we slowly drift off. Sleep is a perfect example of, of where will doesn't help because as soon as we, we engage the will, then um, we're creating something that's doing something rather than um, letting go, which is what we need to do in order to, to fall asleep. But it, it can be difficult to recognize that this, our own, the part that we play um, in the process, and, and even more difficult to, to catch it in the moment and to, uh, to um, let go, to, to put down our concern, our self-concern, which is what it is about um, something unpleasant that we, we perceive as being an obstruction to our pr practice. He goes on, you should not fear failure, neither should you embrace it. You may conclude that the retreat is not, just go is, is not going well for you, your body is uncomfortable, your mind is in a tumult. You are unable to control yourself. You haven't made the proper preparations. Why not forget this one and leave tomorrow? Maybe try again the next time. Don't succumb to this defeatist attitude. A Chinese proverb says, a hundred birds in a tree are not worth one bird in the palm. It's a little different from our one, but stronger. Our proverb. If you let go of that one bird to go after the hundred, you will end up with nothing. Even though you feel unprepared and doomed to failure, being here still presents a wonderful opportunity to practice. We go through all kinds of ups and downs in our, uh, a day of Sishin. It can, be, it can be very much like a roller coaster ride. And the key is to step back from, from those ups and downs and, and see them like waves on the surface of the sea. They, they, they come and they go. And they're not separate from the seawater. They are, in fact, the turbulence of the sea. And so we're never, we're never separate from that sea. We can, and we can with, with um, if we apply ourselves to the practice, become better at um, seeing through the, the commentary that we get from our um, small mind about what's going on. We have this wonderful opportunity to practice together. Um, Everybody who's been to Sheen before knows that um, we just have greater possibilities uh, when in a, an environment such as this, which is disciplined and um, structured to allow us to, to um, practice through all the ups and downs carried with, with th through the the energy of everybody in the Zendo, and to which we contribute as well through our efforts. Carry on with the, the verses here. Even slight distinctions made set earth and heaven far apart. So the tiniest distinction we make, we make can create a, ch a chasm between things in our lives that we're experiencing as far as separate as earth and heaven. If you would clearly see the truth, discard opinions pro and con. Our opinions co can so get in the way not only of between us and our, our practice, but between us and other people. 
so much discord uh, occurs because of of our uh, opinions and especially our wanting to be right. To founder in dislike and like is nothing but the mind's disease. This is where our suffering comes from, from our foundering, flailing around in dislike and like. Master Shingyan says, if you want the Buddha way to manifest before your eyes, it is a mistake to harbor any preferences or aversions. This includes anything you hope to inquire, keep, discard, or avoid. When sitting seems to be going particularly well, the idea may pop into your mind that you are about to be enlightened. You will begin to wait for this enlightenment experience. With this expectation, the mind has already abandoned its single-mindedness and become confused and scattered. You will not be able to maintain your previous state of concentration. This is, this is a very common experience for um, fairly beginning practitioners where they'll experience some, the, some of the, the joy and calm of, an, of a concentrated mind. But of course the experience passes and then some people will spend a lot of time and energy trying to get back to that place. But of course the trying is, it gets in the way the, the, the experience of, of uh, concentration happened because we forgot ourselves to some degree, got involved, got um, absorbed in our practice. So again, it's, it's this um, picking and choosing. We, we want to have and uh, maintain certain states of mind we want to not have and get rid of other states of mind. On a prior retreat, one student was progressing so well that there were notable changes in his mental state. At that point, he became frightened. He thought, I'm happy with the way I am now. I don't really want any drastic changes. What if my friends don't recognize me? He did not sit as well for the rest of the retreat. This is not, uh, also not uncommon, that um, we can want to transform our lives and um, experience awakening, and at the same time we don't want to. We feel um, afraid of what we might happen. And with some people, it's like they go up to the edge of the, of the abyss many times and pull back because they don't know what's going to happen if they take that, that step. Or perhaps a better, better image would be um, putting your toe in the, in the sea, in the cold water, and, and pulling it back again and again and again. This contradictory mentality often afflicts the practitioner. He wants to enter the door, but at the same time is really afraid of entering. You come to a retreat with a desire to transform yourself. Indeed, practice can make you more mature, calm, and stable. It will certainly not change you into something less human or ghost-like. Since ancient times, there have been numerous practitioners who have gotten deeply enlightened and remained human. <laughs> yes, we would hope so. The only difference being that afterward they were more stable and filled with wisdom. There is no reason to fear changing too much. Such a contradictory state of mind is common among ordinary people. When I left home as a young boy, I was very excited about becoming a monk. But on the other hand, I had never been to a monastery and had some apprehension. I just did not know what would happen there. 
Many people who believe in heaven have similar fears about what it might be like after death. These contradictions point to inherent weaknesses in our personality of which we are usually unaware. It is only in the context of practice that these weaknesses are exposed. Once we discover and understand our weaknesses, we can prevent them from further obstructing our practice. We have to take a long view, and these, um, it's very much a part of practice that we become more conscious of our weaknesses, our um, painful habit patterns, our likes and dislikes at a, a more d deeper level. continues, though for and against are opposite, they're also very much related. If there is something that you like, there must be something else that you dislike. And if you cannot get what you like, you will change your mind and dislike it. To be caught in this conflict between like and dislike is a serious disease of the mind. It is a barrier to practice. Practice is a process by which we recognize and treat the disease in our minds. When the disease completely disappears, the ultimate way is relieved. Um, quite often I'll say in, in workshops that um, the Zen teacher hasn't got anything to give to the student. What the Zen teacher can do is to help the, help the student see through what is unnecessary or unhelpful. To, we really, our, process, our, our practice is a process of, of um, reduction, removal of what, or seeing through what is unhelpful or unnecessary. And not to see the way's deep truth disturbs the mind's essential peace. We, we create these waves with our likes and dislikes, and, and because of that we miss our, uh, uh, the mind's essential peace and stillness, perfection. The way is perfect, last, like vast space, where there's no lack and no excess. Master Ching Yin says about this great um, is it? vast space. He says, vast, made, vast space does not refer to a nothingness, but rather to a totality. Though it includes everything, there is no individual existence. There is only the total universal existence. Even before attaining the way, practitioners should train themselves in the proper attitudes of one who is already enlightened. That is, they should discard the mentality of liking and disliking. So long as you practice diligently, that is the totality. After all, what you dislike and what you like are not separate from each other. Liking and disliking are really two sides of one, of one coin. So together they make up a whole. goes a bit more into the paradoxes of having and not having, liking and disliking. When we think we have gotten something, we have not really gotten it. And when we think we have lost something, we have not really lost it. This is because in the reality of totality, there is no gain and no loss. There is nothing outside of your mind. It is because you choose and reject that you are not free. It is for this reason that you have an excess or a lack. You have an excess of what you want to be rid of and a lack of what you want to acquire. It is only when there is no grasping or rejecting that there will be neither excess nor lack. So when next time, next time we feel 
a sense of lack, and it, often we do feel that in Sashin, uh, if we can remember that the sense of lack is intimately connected to our, our likes and dislikes, dislikes. And, and investigate right there. What, what am I holding on to? What am I attaching myself to? What am I uh, rejecting? Both striving for the outer world as well as for the inner void condemn us to entangled lives. Master Chinyan says, people can be attached either to existence, the outer world, or emptiness, the inner void. Most of us are probably attached to existence, clinging to our thoughts, our body, the environment around us. Um, on the other hand, someone attached to emptiness may think, since there is nothing after death, it is the simplest solution for everything. After I die, I won't have to worry about anything anymore. Another emptiness attitude may be, since the world is illusory, then nothing matters and I can stay detached from everything. That's quite common within the realm of uh, people who meditate. as a way of avoiding engaging with, with life and its sufferings. Since the world is illusory, then nothing matters and I can stay detached from everything. You probably know, know somebody who has this attitude. Those who are attached to emptiness may have a devil-may-care attitude. They may refuse to, to take anything in life seriously, or they may even be susceptible to committing suicide. Attaching to either existence or to emptiness are improper attitudes. I have spoken of the dangers of attaching to existence, grasping what you like and rejecting what you dislike, but to say that there is nothing to grasp and nothing to reject is also incorrect. This would be attaching to emptiness. How we have this teaching of emptiness in, in Buddhism, um, but at the same time, something is experiencing that teaching of emptiness. What is that? A person may be meditating with a blank mind, minus all thoughts and concerns. While this may seem to be approaching enlightenment, it is actually quite different. In the enlightened state, the previous thought did not arise, the future thought will not arise, and the present thought does not arise. But someone in a blank state is just sitting there and not thinking about or doing anything. In fact, he's not practicing. Indeed, he does have a thought, which is, the previous thought arose, but it does not matter. A future thought might arise, but again, it does not matter. As, the present thought, as to the present thought, let it be. This person may think he has no attachment to his thoughts, but actually this is far from the true state of enlightenment. The, the kind of state, this kind of state is called stubborn emptiness as opposed to true emptiness. A kind of, a kind of blankness or, or um, disconnected state, uh, dissociated state even sometimes. If you practice to a point where you feel very tranquil, stable and comfortable, that would be a peaceful state of mind. The best you contain in this peaceful condition is a high samadhi state in the formless realm called emptiness, the emptiness samadhi. But if you become attached to such a state, you will never see your self-nature. You will be considered an outer path, this would be considered an outer path practice. So not to 
this is the more subtle levels where if we attach to even to states of samadhi, then they can block our um, going beyond that state. And then this, this, this section of that we're looking at ends with just calmly see that all is one and, and by themselves false views will go. So even, even when we don't know fully that everything is one, we can have the faith that this is so. And, and remind ourselves of this when um, views come strongly into the mind, opinions, that divide our, our experience up, and especially divide the world into, into self and other. It's such a damaging opinion that that is so pervasive and seems ever more um, dominant in our, in our world. Just calmly see that all is one and by themselves false views will go. It's very much see, seeing that, that all is one rather than, than trying to get rid, rid of our false views. Because again, as soon as you get into the mode of, of trying to get rid of, then you're in, in the realm of, of picking and choosing. And not to see the way's deep truth disturbs the mind's essential peace. So bring curiosity to a practice. What is the way's deep truth? How does it unfold in me and in all that is around me? We'll stop here and recite the four vows. Without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions, I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain.
The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.